Hello and welcome to Spark to Flame. This is a podcast for married people or for people who are soon to be married. Yeah, yeah. Or for people who are just really, really interested in marriage. We're going to tackle a range of topics dealing with holy matrimony, and we do so from a Christian point of view. Our aim is to encourage you to put in the work. So have that conversation. Go ahead and do that thing you've been avoiding. And today we're going to be talking about sex. Our aim is to bring you ideas, insights, and inspiration for a better marriage. And one way to have a better marriage is to have better sex. And one way to have better sex is to have better conversations about sex. So for the next two episodes, we are going to get some of those conversations started for you. Today, we'll share three ideas from three different books that we have found to be very helpful. And in our next episode, we're going to talk more specifically about talking about sex. We'll discuss the ins and outs of good communication pertaining to making love. Talking about sex is becoming more and more acceptable in the Christian world, but for many years, it was not that way. In fact, most people and parents, especially in churches, would not touch the subject with a 10-foot pole. And sex is everywhere in our world, and it's talked about freely in just about every single other arena. Most adults we've talked to However, when we ask them how they learned about sex, the main sources were not their parents or church, but from friends and mainly social media or the mainstream media. So that's going to create a problem for a lot of Christian married people. And that is, where do you go? Mm -hmm. Where do you go now when you are looking for answers about sex? Because you're not going to in your 30s or 40s, probably call up your parents to to get some information for them. Uh, We've set up a culture in which it can feel really weird to talk to your friends from church about sex stuff. And so then it just leaves us back to those same sources of media, TV, whatever, movies, Mm -hmm. internet. Or worse, yeah, which we believe is going to leave many married people with just big misconceptions about sex and what it should be. Wrong ideas, poor expectations, which will lead to stress, anxiety, and frustration. Mm -hmm. And look, we know that it's highly unlikely that we're going to set everything straight in the next 30 minutes, (laughs) but (laughs) we are happy to get things rolling. But before we do, we'd like to refer back to an episode we did earlier in the season with our good friend, Dr. Corey Carlisle, in which we got to talk with him a little bit about developing a theology of sex. Yeah, Dr. Carlisle specializes in sex therapy. So if you have not yet listened, we recommend that you go ahead and do that as a part of this bigger conversation. The theology of sex is going to be important to consider. Why did God give us sex and sexuality? That will lead us to develop an ideology of sex. What is the goal of sex? What makes sex good or great in general? How about between you and your spouse? Yeah, and that and that's where I'd like to kind of get started is on that first question is what is the purpose? What is the goal of sex? You know, and there can be a lot of purposes, a lot of goals, but is is there an ultimate one? Mm-hmm. And you know, another way of thinking about that question would be like how do you know that you did it right? I mean, which I mean, these sound kind of weird or like, like if sex with this was a game, mm-hmm. like, how do you know that you won? <laughs> well, these are questions that most people are not asking, probably, because they seem strange to ask about sex. And honestly, they kind of fit in the weird zone of like, on one hand, the answers are so obvious. And on the other hand, I have no idea how to answer them. Right. Yeah, we we don't. We don't verbalize them a lot and, and maybe don't even think 
in the frame of those specific questions, but the questions are there in our minds and sometimes the answers are there in your mind. So like, I mean, if you imagine that you've just finished doing the deed with your partner and you kind of roll over to your side of the bed and typically there's going to be some sort of evaluation. It could be good. It could be great. Mm -hmm. It could be like a sigh and like, that was amazing. Or it could be silence, <laughs> confusion, and yeah, like, um, was that it? Like, mm-hmm. are we done? You know, right. and so those are that kind of reveals those two major questions mm-hmm. that do circle in our head. Like, all right, how do you know that you're done, and how do you know it was good? Mm-hmm. And and sometimes, like like you mentioned, Cassie, that it part of the answer is obvious, especially mm-hmm. you know, like. For the man, you know, if a male, if a man comes to orgasm, if he climaxes, then there's certain things that happen that are a part of that, typically, mm-hmm. where it becomes very obvious that something happened that was very pleasing to him or pleasing enough <laughs> to make that happen. Uh, and that can also then become the main element or these can become the main elements of like a sexual scorecard. So like commonly understood goal for a sex, you're saying like if that is a commonly understood goal, like the orgasm, then a woman's trying to get her husband to that point and a man is trying to get his wife to that point. But ideally there's a mutual effort there or they're both trying to get themselves to that point of pleasure. Sure. And you know that maybe we recognize this less uh, like, or even more in like the failure to reach a certain goal. Mm-hmm. So like, I think societally through media and like other things that men are taught mm-hmm. that if they can't get their lady to mm-hmm. have an orgasm, then they're just a bad lover. Like you're a failure, you know? So like uh, you've, you do what you do and you try what you try. And if it doesn't work and she, she doesn't get to that point, then you just, you're not really that big of a man or that good of a man, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then on the flip side, like, like how would a woman feel if you've been working and working, working and making love for a long time and yet the husband never quite gets to that point. And and maybe even at that, he just like at some point just stops and is like, thanks babe, that was great. And then just rolls over and like goes to bed. Like she's going to feel a bit of emptiness and why? Because the scorecard is orgasm. That's right. So just kind of, that's all, all of this talk so far is just setting that up. Exactly. This is, this is what we're looking at. I could see that where the female feels unattractive or something she did was wrong or wrong with her or get defensive of those things. Yeah, exactly. And of course there's going to be exceptions. And actually Mm -hmm. my hope is that maybe we could encourage more of that. Like I I believe that this idea of being obsessed with orgasm can hinder our ability to be truly good love makers wait so you have a quote from a book called slow sex the path to fulfilling and sustainable sexuality by diana richardson so they say uh, too often sex only occurs when we feel the need for an orgasm during the act of love we want two things to come and also to bring our partner to climax with these missions in mind we're always one step ahead of our bodies pressure and tension arise which leads to a loss of sensitivity the greater the expectation, the less we can really feel. And so we rob ourselves of the real pleasure that a sexual encounter can offer. So it seems the first step toward slow sex is to stop trying to achieve an orgasm. Then when we don't have to race to a destination, 
then we can let our bodies guide us. This alone is automatically going to slow us down. And we can then begin to explore the true value of our sexuality. And I love, I just want to pull out that one part in that synopsis, which it's um, with this mission in mind, Mm -hmm. we're always one step ahead of our bodies, Mm -hmm. right? So like, so when we just kind of always have that, like this is the ultimate win. This is the how we know that we can check the box on the scorecard or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Then that can create a a pressure. Right. Like I'm not just doing this to connect to you. I'm doing this because I'm trying to get something done. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. Well, and uh, that could be in anything. Not to go on a tangent, but I was thinking of at the end of some days, sometimes I will reflect on my parenting days. Is that like, oh, I need to get to the next thing. I need to feed them, clothe them, make them presentable, you know, check off their nap times were had, their bedtimes. And at the end of the day, I realize sometimes I didn't enjoy being a mom today, you know, and that's sad. Like, yeah. Yeah, I did not so just, up. yeah, stop for those little things and enjoy it. I was so busy on the check mark thing. So anyway, not to interject, go ahead. Yeah. I was um, just thinking about as an analogy that... So it's an interesting thing because if, uh, like when I was doing my graduate work, we had to read a book on like, uh, sexual dysfunction and like just different exercises that if you were doing sex therapy and working with a couple, which maybe like, uh, like a man couldn't get an erection or like a, a woman was having pain in, in the sec in sexual intercourse or whatever it might be, then there's like a handful of, um, exercises that you would, uh, kind of not lead the couple through, (laughs) but you'd explain it to them and Mm -hmm. then they'd go home and, and work on these things. But most of them focus on these things. Then it's just like, all right, just be naked together, Mm -hmm. you know, explore each other's bodies, like do all of the, basically all of these sexual acts, all of these, uh, all of this touching, all of this sexual communication, all of this sexual interaction. But what they do is they, they completely erase the goal, the goal that everybody be. And when you do that and you can just be relaxed and you can just be with each other and you can just connect, then the whole thing mm. takes on a new form. Like right. when you change the destination, yes, then the journey becomes so much more enjoyable and, and important. And then for a lot, for like a lot of guys that might have ED, that that is the thing that is causing them mm-hmm. to not be able to get it up is that they've just got so much pressure right. built up in their mind. So when you kind of erase that pressure, then that helps them to give it. You're their... giving them those little micro goals, mm-hmm. the, the little building blocks for success without that goal. That makes me think of conversation. What if each conversation was judged by how productive it was? What did it accomplish? That's important, but there's so many conversations you have with your spouse that the point is less about the outcome of the conversation, but more about the time, right, that you have together and the intimacy of sharing certain things that you care about or thinking about with one special person. Yeah. So. And and that's a good analogy, too, because it just because when I think of that, I think, well, yeah, but sometimes I do want a conversation to just be to the point, right, 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 right. <laughs> to accomplish that goal. And so that's the truth about uh, sex, too. Like, sure. you know, there are going to be times in a married couple's life then that sometimes that it's it's just that it's just about that that is the goal and so go for it like definitely not trying to poo poo on that right like hey so if you can do it you know go ahead and like we 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 can enjoy things in different ways but you know for years i would get down on myself and i would judge myself the reason being like i had created 
a certain standard for what good sex was. Mm -hmm. And that standard did not come from conversations with my wife, but from presuppositions and media influence. Mm -hmm. So, so all three of these things that we're going to say, and this being the first one, the first major point that we're trying to get out there, um, they're not just things that are like, Oh, this is helpful for you. Right. Mm -hmm. Like there's all for each of them. There's like a personal, like, at some point in our marriage, there was like an aha yeah. moment for it. And so what would uh, you or we have people do if they can relate? You know, what's a good response, a step in the right direction? Right. So I think the first thing would definitely just be that conversation. Like, okay. like don't make your sexual standard what somebody else says yeah, it should be. Don't make be. assumptions either. Right. Go to um, your spouse. Be, and, and, and be truthful. You know, so it's like you, you've got to honestly want to know what it is that your partner wants, but then be honest about what it is that you want out of those things and, and then practice it and experiment a little bit. And I would say specifically practice that with like remove, remove the traditional goal Mm -hmm. um, and, and just come up, experiment with that. Not like saying like experiment in sex, but Mm -hmm. say experiment with what different goals. Yes. Within this framework. And before we get into the next point, I'll just go back and put a quick plug in there for the quickie. Slow sex and romance and mindfulness and all that stuff is great and helpful because we are too fast-paced in our world. And that's great, but just there is still a time and a place for a good quickie. That's it. Just wanted to squeeze that in there again. Absolutely. And right now, we're going to just take a quick break. And we'll be right back for the rest of the show. Very funny. You know what else is pretty funny? The fact that you are wholeheartedly enjoying this podcast you are listening to, and yet you have either not subscribed to it, or you have not told your friends about it. Or both. Or both. It just takes a minute, and especially get your spouse to listen, especially when we get into more difficult topics. We can help break the ice. You can simply say, what do you think of that episode of Spark to Flame? We appreciate all of you who have been listening, and we work our hardest to give you some good tools and helpful ideas for making your marriage the best it can be. In just a little bit, I'll be sharing another common problem and solution for married people's sex lives. Another something that I read and that made a ton of sense to me. But first, Cassie's going to share some ideas about driving forces and restrictive forces. I'll also just be using some simpler terminology. For myself, especially, because I'm not good with big words. But here's the problem. Men and women are very different, and every individual is very unique in their preferences and turn-ons, desires, etc. So one way we come up short in some of our bedroom escapades is because we're thinking too one-sided about things. Like we're being too selfish or like one-sided, like we're not considering the other person's needs. Eh, not that, just that... That can be problematic too, for sure. But the one-sidedness I'm talking about is when we're trying to please our partners. The main thing we get focused on is what turns them on. How can I get them in the mood or revved up? Now, on the surface, that would not appear to be a problem as long as everything works out okay. Focusing on turning each other or... Sorry. Now, on the surface, that would not appear to be a problem, as long as everything works out okay. Focusing on turning each other on might be fine. So the problem is when you're focusing on foreplay or turning each other on and it's not working, Mm -hmm. uh, the result would be similar to that of the first segment, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if I'm doing all the right things, but you don't seem to be getting in the mood, then I might start to get self-conscious. Or you might just try harder. 
But that's because you aren't seeing the whole picture. What people are aware of, but likely don't really take the time to consider, is what the experts would call the dual control model of sexual response. Uh, So the best analogy is the dual pedal system of a car. Uh, Especially if you're a driver, you would know you have the gas pedal, which would represent getting turned on, etc. And everyone else in the world. (laughs) I don't know. But especially if you are a driver. You're right. I shouldn't make fun of you. Especially if you're a driver. Exclude people and make them feel stupid if they don't know what a gas and brake pedal. Whatever. Okay, so the gas pedal obviously represents getting turned on, etc. But then you also have the brake pedal. So this would be anything that happens that's a turn off. Like really stinky breath. (laughs) Or when someone starts to talk about grandma's toe fungus. So middle of joke. okay so sure uh, intimacy <laughs> there, there could be a lot of common or general issues or specific ones to consider like what you're mentioning what's on your mind the topic of the conversation those kinds of things but also things like the temperature of the room i'm usually freezing cold or how tired they are or if you had a fight earlier that day right? yeah that makes a ton of sense and I, and i guess that most pro, most couples have probably experienced this on mm-hmm. on varying levels some that are really obvious you know or like oh yeah that's obviously a turn off but probably in a lot of ways that they haven't been able to name or put it you know mm-hmm. and with patience and conversation you can overcome most of those things or even if it is in the middle of sex any number of things can happen, right, that pump the brakes. Yeah, like like something, like you get hurt, yes. physically hurt. Or interrupted, or something funny happens. Yeah, the kid walks in. Yeah, they're all normal. <laughs> I mean, that's never happened to us, but for some of you, we've heard those stories. Yeah, they're all normal. And like we said, you might get frustrated or might laugh about it, but it can go deeper. So here's a quote from one of the research articles from, it's like kinseyinstitute.org. And on it says, every person will engage one or both pedals to a differing degree in any particular sexual situation, depending on their unique sexual physiology, history, and personality. So we're going a little deeper than preference now. A lot of people deal with childhood trauma or have some kind of sexual abuse in their past. If something happens to trigger that stress, that's likely going to be a major slamming of the brakes. Trigger meaning anything that just they can't maybe even physically control it just happens mm-hmm. and that's going to be a break right in the so middle of it. so kind of like to to sum things up to this point mm-hmm. what we're saying is for every for for good everyday kind of sex right. that we don't forget about the brake pedal mm-hmm. uh, it's just as important to eliminate potential turnoffs and to know than, them than to hit yeah. all of the right buttons at the right, right time yes and that might mean being patient so let's say you have a nine-year-old child who had a tough day behaviorally Talking about that might kill the mood for one partner, but not talking about it means that the other partner can't stop thinking about it because it's so on their mind. So it's hard for them to be thinking about sex. And none of us are mind readers. Right. So you have to talk about it. You have to bring it up. Or even if you'll have to talk about talking about it. Yes. (laughs) So the best thing or a quick way to put these ideas to work is to ask your spouse what makes them pump the brakes during sex, either in foreplay or actually during the act. Maybe you're going to learn something new, and hopefully that will help you create a better atmosphere for enjoying better sex. Mm-hmm. And better sex is the topic of the day. Of and you can see how those first two things go hand in hand, mm-hmm. because if you are so obsessed with, you know, like getting someplace mm-hmm. or like working through something, then you're not going to be patient. Like, so in the That's first right. segment, encouraging slow sex. 
And then here, understanding that sometimes to work through the brake pedal and the gas pedal stuff, you're going to have to slow down. Yes, and you might misinterpret some of those negative signs as just the other person not in the mood or whatever where really there might be a bigger thing to talk about there yeah or they might just not be in the mood that's right you can talk about that that's right but talk about that too Mm -hmm. unpump the brake and (laughs) get the gas slam on the gas i don't know okay all right so uh so yeah better sex the final segment is actually some ideas from a book that's called magnificent sex so we'll be finishing strong Okay, before we move on to the last segment, okay, we wanted to pause and give people a little reminder. In the last segment, we talked about things that can cause you to stop in your tracks during sex. Some of those things can be silly, but others can be really serious and should not be ignored. Sometimes childhood trauma can be suppressed, and other times sexual abuse brings with it immense amounts of shame and guilt. One of the main reasons we do this podcast is because we have noted that people wait, Mm -hmm. on average, way too long to get help. Mm -hmm. And I I did some training actually during the pandemic, and they cited one report that indicated the average U.S. adult will wait about 17 years from the onset of symptoms to get help from a mental professional. I mean, that means if a 16 year old girl dealt with something terrible or just started to have depression or anxiety she's likely to wait until her mid-30s before seeking counsel so for individuals and also for couples if sex issues are bigger than what a podcast can solve please Mm -hmm. do not let fear or shame keep you from getting help and not just for sex if it's communication problems or jealousy or whatever you might be dealing with we're, we're just asking you, like, we love what we do, and we hope what we do can help you. But please don't put off getting help from a, a professional. Okay, Rob. According to the book Magnificent Sex by Peggy... Can you just say her last name, please? <laughs> Klein Platz. Great. And Dana Menard. Couples who visit sex therapists often say that they want great sex to happen naturally and spontaneously, like it did at the start of their relationship. Yeah, that uh, that attitude, it makes a ton of sense, right? Like, yeah. unless you're always working on it at some different points in your marriage relationships, you, relationship, your sex life is going to fall into some kind of routine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've discussed this in previous episodes, how that can be perceived differently by different people at different times. Mm-hmm. Like if the routine is good, then you're in a groove. And if it's lacking, then you feel like you're in a rut. Right. Now, if you're a couple who has gotten to where things seem stale... It could be easy to think back about the days when sex was adventurous and passionate and spontaneous, <laughs> and that can be really, really attractive. Right. So magnificent sex points out people's problems. Do they have a solution? Yes. Uh, but, f- <laughs> but first, what I really liked is that they point out that the problem may not actually be a sex problem, but a judgment problem. Essentially, <laughs> that the perception of previous sex encounters is false. Right, so (laughs) say what? Right, right. So when you think back into like the good old days, and you think about all that unplanned and spontaneous sex that happened early on in marriage, it was actually pretty far from that. So you think about this, like, okay, maybe maybe that sex happened at eleven p.m. Sure. But you rewind. You're a married couple. You've got very little responsibility. Even if you're both working jobs, you plan a date out that you've known about for a couple of days. You set off. You start the day. (laughs) Kiss goodbye. 
can't wait for tonight. It's going to be True. great. Throughout the day, you send little text messages. You're thinking about what am I going to wear? Like what fragrance am I going to put on? All that kind of stuff. You come okay. home, mm-hmm. you undress from work. You kind of get your, you get dressed up for each other. You you drive in the car, you're hand, holding hands, you're listening to your favorite song, something romantic. <laughs> you know, you have a nice conversation over dinner. Essentially to say, by the time you get to that point where you're getting undressed and getting busy, you have had hours of flirting and uh, tension, mm. sexual tension that has been building to get you to that point. So the so-called spontaneous sex at the end of the night is just like an all day in the making. Yeah. Whereas in later in your relationship, there's a lot more interference. Okay. So it's like, yeah, uh, maybe the kiss goodbye in the morning is even interrupted because a kid was screaming. And then, mm. you know, there's just the pressures of the like the stress at work seems a little greater. You don't even have the date planned because, <laughs> Sounds like you know, you've got a couple of kids. And, yeah. And like, so there's just all of that baggage that doing? comes. And by the time it rolls around and it gets to be 11 o'clock and you did have dinner together and you did all that, you're beat, right? You're tired. And and so then you're really thinking like, all right, should, should we like go for this or should we be responsible and go to bed? And I ate too much dinner. <laughs> so I feel yeah. Like... Yeah. So, so it's not. It's it's just that okay. there's so much more distraction, there's so much more interference, uh, so that it's not it's not that what you had back then was so great. Okay. It was just uh, it was a little easier. Uh, but hold on, it sounds like their answer is for people to realize that they have just been romanticizing about the past. So. Um, well, uh, more so to help them realize that the great sex that they may be romanticizing did actually require a lot of work. Okay, right. So just a little more work now. Right. The okay. same magnificent sex okay. is still widely available, but se- great. I would say this great sex always requires work. Sure. Right. So when you're 24... And we should know that. It might be a flirty text talking about how much you're looking forward to that romantic date or you're imagining your wife and or husband in that new dress or outfit. But at 44 or 54, it might be letting them know that you'll be cooking dinner that night or taking care of the dishes, right? So I don't see why you can't capture the passion of the early years either, like a little planned spontaneity. Like for us, we get the sitter, we plan the date... It might take a little extra effort, but it could still happen. Absolutely. And that's the point. Sex that is good, like we said, is always going to require some work. It's never purely purely effortless. Mm-hmm. There's always going to be effort and event, conversation, goodwill, etc. that leads to great sex. Cool. All right. So it becomes a problem if we forget that. And then we get upset because... Yeah. You know, we're not getting the same product. Like, we're not getting the same fruit out of less effort. Right. Like, we... We wouldn't do that with other things, True. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if we did, it would be easy to see, like, that's unreasonable. Yeah, like right? a garden. We don't just stick seeds yeah. in and everything is yeah, great. I, you have to prune it and you have to water it. I didn't weed it. I didn't take care of it. I didn't stuff. water it. Yeah. Um, but 10 years ago, my garden grew great. Yes. When I did all those things, and now it's not growing, so I don't understand. Right? Good like, point. And like you said, you're probably just going to have to make a different kind of effort, like we talked about from when you're newlyweds. Yeah, and that's okay, because as great as things might have been, according to this book, Magnificent Sex, the couples who reported having magnificent sex most reliably were couples who had been together for longer periods of time. So definitely yeah. something great about being young, but nothing can replace 
the years of life together, the bond that you form, Mm -hmm. everything that you learn about each other. Like you learn about the gas pedals and the brake Mm -hmm. pedals and all of that knowledge then you think about that you're just gaining and gaining and gaining. So then being having 25 years of that under your belt versus five months, like, yeah, there's different pluses and minuses. So if you're feeling a bit of drag in your sex life, it could just be of no one to blame but yourself, or at least that there's room to work on it and make it better. For most people, just if, if you're feeling that, put in the extra work, not aimlessly, uh, if you're working your tail off for better sex and it's not bearing fruit, then then again, conversation, conversation, have right. a conversation with your spouse. And about we gave that. you three good conversation starters today. Right. So ask them exactly what kind of work would pay off or talk about the dual pedal system or slow sex and how changing the goal of your lovemaking may make a big difference. So and again, the that. easiest way to break the ice with your spouse is by just sharing this episode of the podcast with them. Spark to flame. Ideas, insights, and inspiration for a better marriage. Maybe it should be melt the ice instead of break the ice. <laughs> spark, Cut. Spark to flame.